Due to the sensitive nature of today's material, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It was a slow day in 2013. At a police station in San Francisco, one of the officers on mail duty, who we'll call Ben, sorted through the incoming mail. Some of the notes included leads or anonymous tips. Most were completely useless, but luckily he only had one small letter left. The envelope had no return address. That seemed odd. If a tipster was after a reward, they usually wanted the police to contact them back. Ben slid the letter opener under the seal and carefully removed a note inside. As he examined the contents, his jaw dropped and his hand shook. He couldn't believe what he was holding. Ben leapt up from his desk and ran across the station, weaving past the other officers. Even though the chief was in a meeting, Ben burst into his office anyway, waving the page in the air like a winning lottery ticket. He said only three men had ever escaped from Alcatraz prison. Apparently one of them, John Anglin, was still alive. And he'd written them a letter. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our final episode on the escape from Alcatraz. For decades, Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary had the reputation of a fortress. No one successfully got out. However, in 1962, three inmates slipped from their cells and down to San Francisco Bay, never to be seen again. Last time, we followed Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers as they planned their break. They chiseled through stony grates, built a makeshift drill and a raft, climbed a barbed wire fence, and left behind papier-mâché dummies to fool their guards. Today we'll investigate whether the escapees lived or died. Authorities believe the men likely drowned before reaching the mainland. But maybe they made it and fled to South America. In fact, they might have sent evidence of their survival back to the United States. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. On the morning of June 12, 1962, an Alcatraz guard performed a count of the prisoners. Everyone seemed to be present, but for some reason, one of the convicts wasn't getting out of bed. The officer entered Frankly Morris's cell and nudged his body. A papier-mâché dummy head fell off of the pillow and rolled to the guard's feet. Morris had escaped, as had his accomplices, Clarence and John Anglin. The search for the three missing inmates began right away. Investigators checked the men's cells for any sign of where they might have gone. They found holes around the ventilation grills and the materials used to make the dummies. And one more crucial piece of evidence, their accomplice, Alan West. On the night of June 11th, West couldn't unseal his ventilation grill. Short on time, the other escapees left him behind. Investigators didn't know he'd almost made it out, but they did know West lived in the cell next to Morris and often fraternized with him and the Anglin brothers. So they pulled West aside to ask him a few questions, and the prisoner told them everything. It's not clear why West squealed. Maybe the cops threatened him with a longer sentence for planning and assisting an escape attempt. Perhaps he talked in exchange for immunity or a shorter stint at Alcatraz. Or it's possible he felt betrayed by Morris and the Anglins for leaving him behind. Whatever his reasoning, Wes told them exactly how the trio had escaped by digging tunnels, creating dummies, and inflating raincoat sleeves to build a makeshift raft. He explained their goal was to reach nearby Angel Island and from there go to mainland California and enjoy their freedom. Thanks to West's tip, the authorities scoured the bay and nearby islands. Detectives, FBI operatives, and even soldiers from the local base swarmed the bay. With rifles in hand, they combed every inch of the region in search of the convicts. Search boats zipped across the water, the crews scanning the waves for any sign of floating bodies. Above, helicopters did the same, sweeping the area for three men in blue prison shirts. The currents were always dangerous and could have taken the escapees anywhere. Authorities figured it was possible the waves took them to Angel Island, as Alan West had claimed. The small refuge was roughly two miles north of Alcatraz and a convenient distance from the mainland. Alternatively, the men could have drifted straight to San Francisco Bay. Fisherman's Wharf was only about one and a half miles south of the rock. Or they may have floated west towards the Golden Gate Bridge. 
Maybe they passed under the landmark and reached the Marin headlands, which sat on the north side of the bay. Any of these landing spots was not far from civilization and an escape from the Bay Area. But it was just as likely the escapees hadn't survived the trip at all. They might have drowned or been swept out to the Pacific Ocean by the current, never to be heard from again. After all, nobody had ever successfully fled the rock. In 14 different attempts, every escapee had either been caught, killed, or drowned in the icy waters surrounding the island, and authorities usually recovered bodies from the bay. According to the Bridge Rail Association, there have been 1,600 fatalities from jumps off the Golden Gate Bridge to their death. Of that number, at least 1,400 of them have been recovered. That's the vast majority. So it stands to reason that if three men died in the bay, the police likely would have located at least one of their bodies. The absence of corpses suggests the escapees lived to tell the tale. But it was impossible to know for sure. Two days after the breakout on June 13th, investigators found evidence that maybe pointed to the trio's fate. About 100 to 200 yards away from Alcatraz Island, a crewman on a patrol boat spotted a small object floating in the water. A homemade oar. Investigators showed the item to West, and he confirmed his accomplices had made it for the escape. The authorities concluded Morris and the Anglin brothers drowned in the bay. They certainly wouldn't have intentionally left the oar behind if they still had to paddle toward the mainland. That is, unless they made it to Angel Island and disposed of their equipment to cover their trail. The oar, in and of itself, didn't prove anything. The next day, on June 14th, the Army Corps of Engineers' debris boat was out on a routine path to clear the bay's water. The vessel ran its net across the water near Angel Island. Once it was full, the crew pulled the load aboard, dumping the contents all over the deck. Amidst the trash and seaweed, one crew member noticed a soaking wet plastic bag wedged in the pile. He opened it and discovered another bag inside. Whatever it contained had been carefully packed to avoid water damage. The crew member opened the second bag and discovered a pouch stuffed with 60 snapshots of various people, a sheet of paper covered in names, addresses, and phone numbers, and a money order filled out by the mail clerk at Alcatraz. The name on the receipt was Clarence Anglin. The crew member immediately passed the bag to the investigators. They confirmed the contents had belonged to Clarence. He'd snuck out of the prison with photographs and his loved one's contact information. Officials believe the Anglins planned to call the people on this list to help them evade capture. The directory and the photos were too important to leave behind. If the brothers weren't holding on to these mementos, that must mean they drowned. That was the working theory anyway, until June 18th, seven days after the breakout. When the warden arrived to work at Alcatraz Prison, he was given a postcard signed by Frank, John, and Clarence. It read, Ha ha, we made it. Coming up, how the men may have beaten the odds. 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary had a reputation for being inescapable. But in 1962, Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers may have been the first to get out. A postcard mailed to the prison arrived seven days after their escape attempt, suggesting they not only got away, but survived. The warden immediately shrugged off the letter as a fake. But the FBI didn't want to dismiss any potential leads, so they gathered samples of the men's handwriting to compare to the note. Unfortunately, they've never released their findings or confirmed whether the message was genuine. However, some skeptics think it's a hoax. To break out successfully, the trio would have to survive the rock's greatest defense, the bay. Crossing the frigid water would be no easy task. If they tried to swim, they'd be vulnerable to hypothermia or violent currents. Instead, Morris and the Anglins built a large raft out of raincoats. They glued them together, and while they rowed, they likely blew air into it to keep it inflated. This might sound dangerously flimsy, but in 2003, Mythbusters hosts Jamie Heineman and Adam Savage attempted to build an identical raft and paddle it across the bay at night. A camera crew and safety personnel watched as the hosts and an assistant took off from the waters near Alcatraz. They paddled through the darkness, refilling their boat whenever it started to sink. It was exhausting work, but eventually they made it to their destination. It was a success. But they didn't paddle to Angel Island like West suggested the escapees would. They landed near the Golden Gate Bridge, over three miles from the rock. That may sound like a long way to paddle in a homemade inflatable raft, but experts at Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands used computer simulations to track where the current may have taken the vessel. They determined if the escapees cast off between 11.30 p.m. and midnight, they would wind up at the Marin Headlands, underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, just like the Mythbusters team. If Morris and the Anglins reached the Marin Headlands and tossed their personal items back into the water, according to the model, those objects would have probably floated back towards Angel Island roughly where authorities discovered the ore in Clarence Anglin's bag. Adding more credence to the idea that the escapees lived, in 2016, San Francisco's ABC7 investigation news team reported that an unidentified man made a confession on his deathbed. He apparently dictated to a nurse that he and a friend helped the three convicts in their escape from Alcatraz. Allegedly, the two accomplices waited on a white boat on the southern shore of the bay. The fleeing inmates paddled up in their raft and climbed aboard. Then, they all sailed away together. 
With only bits and pieces of detailed info, it's tempting to dismiss this escape tale as fiction. Except that key elements were corroborated by a former San Francisco police officer. On the evening of June 11, Officer Robert Checky relaxed while off-duty at Marina Green, a waterfront park south of Alcatraz. He was gazing at the bay when he saw some peculiar movement. A small white boat sat in the water, its lights off. It didn't seem anyone was aboard until, all of a sudden, a beam flashed from the deck. Checky realized a man was shining a flashlight into the water, but he didn't understand why. He could only watch in confusion as the boat took off into the darkness. The officer chose not to report the suspicious activity, at least not right away that night. But the next day, he learned three men had escaped from the rock, and he figured the white boat must have been waiting for them. He filed a report, and the FBI immediately called him in for questioning. Over several hours of interrogation, he detailed everything he knew. Then, they possibly told him to cover it up. According to Checky, one FBI agent allegedly said, quote, Let's make this go away. Let's bury it. After all, a successful escape would be embarrassing for the local agencies. The government sent the most dangerous, cunning federal prisoners to Alcatraz because they knew the island could hold them. If that wasn't true, The Rock, the FBI, and the entire criminal justice system would be humiliated. The authorities had a vested interest in claiming Morris and the Anglins drowned during their breakout. And according to a U.S. Marshal, they might have buried evidence that proved the inmates survived their trip across the bay. The whistleblower claimed that an unseen FBI report existed, and in it, a blue Chevy was reported stolen in Marin County on the night of the breakout. According to a separate police report, later that same night, an identical car ran another vehicle off the road about 100 miles away in Stockton, California. Witnesses on the scene said there were three people inside. For some reason, this hijacking wasn't highly publicized at the time, and the alleged report was seemingly hidden from the public. Perhaps because the FBI suspected, or knew, the escapees stole the car. Alan West had told his interrogators the four men had planned to steal guns and clothing once on the mainland. Then, they would hijack a car and flee San Francisco County. So this incident fit the inmates' original plan. Plus, for years after the escape, someone sent flowers to the Anglin's childhood home on special occasions like Mother's Day. There was no card and no return address, but their mother had a feeling the deliveries were from John and Clarence. In 1978, when she passed away, Undercover FBI agents attended her Florida funeral, just in case the Anglin boys returned to say one last goodbye. However, they never saw John or Clarence. Or at least they didn't recognize the brothers. Later, rumors suggested they attended the funeral, disguised as women. This may not have been idle speculation. More and more evidence emerged, suggesting the brothers were alive. Fred Breezy, a family friend of the Anglins, produced a 1975 photograph allegedly showing John and Clarence in Brazil. 
They had long hair, sideburns, and sunglasses. Supposedly, Breezy had bumped into them at a bar and learned they were working on their own farm. The Anglin family believed his account. So did a team of scientists who specialized in photographic analysis. They used facial recognition technology to confirm the men in the 1975 picture were, in fact, the escapees. Then, in 2013, the San Francisco Police Department received an unmarked, handwritten letter. The writer claimed to be John Anglin. The note said Morris had died in 2008 and Clarence in 2011. Now, John was 83 years old, sick with cancer, and needed a doctor. He wanted to make a deal. The letter said, quote, If you announce on TV that I will be promised to first go to jail for no more than a year and get medical attention, I will write back to let you know exactly where I am. This is no joke. Reportedly, the FBI compared this message to a sample of John Anglin's handwriting, but the results were inconclusive. Although it seemed like this could be a real deal, the U.S. Marshals Service claimed the letter likely wasn't legitimate. They never responded to the sender. But there's no record of the Bureau investigating the letter's writer to confirm it was a hoax. Perhaps they were worried of what they might find. John Anglin still alive. This might be one more instance of the federal government covering their tracks. Or maybe they were confident John's survival was impossible and they chose not to investigate the note so as not to waste their time. After all, no one had ever escaped Alcatraz Island before and the previous failed attempts might hold a clue about what happened to Morris and the Anglins. Coming up, the treacherous waters of the San Francisco Bay. Now back to the story. After Frank Morris and the Anglins escaped Alcatraz in June 1962, no bodies were ever recovered from the San Francisco Bay. Without corpses, it was impossible to say whether they reached the mainland or perished along the way. That is, until roughly a month after the escape, when a Norwegian freighter sailed about 15 miles from the Golden Gate Bridge and made a startling discovery. One crew member spotted something strange floating in the water below. They couldn't make out what it was, so they used binoculars to get a closer look. A decomposing corpse was drifting out to the Pacific Ocean, pushed along by the currents. The ship reportedly had two phones on board, but for some reason, no one called in their discovery. In fact, they didn't report it for months afterwards, so investigators were never able to examine the body. Some people believed the corpse belonged to Frank Morris. Others claimed it could have been a man who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. To this day, no one knows for sure. But if it was Morris or one of the Anglins, the waves could have pulled the convicts under during their raft trip toward the mainland. Or the currents could have pushed them out to the Pacific Ocean, where they surely would have died of starvation or dehydration. After all, crossing the bay was nearly an impossible task. 
Morris and the Anglins had to swim or paddle 1.5 miles straight to the mainland, over two miles to Angel Island, or three miles to the Marin Headlands, all in frigid water. On June 11, 1962, the night of the convicts' escape, the bay was around 50 degrees. That's not just cold, it's dangerous. At that temperature, contact with water can shock the body and trigger hyperventilation. An unwary swimmer wouldn't be able to slow their breathing for one to three minutes. After 10 to 20 minutes in the water, a person's muscles would start to weaken. They'd fumble and flail as their blood moves from the limbs and toward the core. The longer a person is in freezing or near-freezing water, the more likely they are to experience hypothermia. Symptoms include exhaustion, lack of coordination, and sometimes death. If the escapees began to freeze in the bay, their thinking could have been impacted as well, meaning they wouldn't be in the right headspace to protect themselves. Now, some swimmers can condition themselves for chilly waters, but that would have been nearly impossible for Alcatraz's inmates. The showers only blasted hot water, which sounds great when you're trying to wake up, but isn't useful when planning an escape through the bay. Two other convicts discovered this the hard way a few months after Morris and the Anglins escaped. Perhaps inspired by the trio, the pair broke out. One gave up before he left the island, refusing to even attempt the swim. But a prisoner named John Paul Scott plunged beneath the waves. The next day, authorities discovered him lying on the rocks beneath the Golden Gate Bridge. He'd actually made it across the bay, but Scott was suffering from exhaustion and hypothermia by the time he got to land. The icy water had taken its toll. Unlike Scott, Morris and the Anglins didn't try to swim. They were on board their inflatable raft, but if it leaked at all or capsized, they could have suffered the same fate. And the temperature wasn't their only challenge. They also had to navigate the tides. Scientists at Delft University modeled the water movement in deltas and bays using historical weather data from the night of the escape. Then, they simulated the flow of the currents from the evening to the early morning. Because they couldn't be sure when Morris and the Anglins set off into the bay, the scientists examined potential boat launches every 30 minutes between 8 p.m. and 4 a.m. According to the experiment, the tides were flowing the wrong direction, out to the Pacific Ocean, before midnight. They were powerful enough to sweep Morris and the Anglins out to sea, no matter how hard they paddled. On the other hand, if they departed after 1 a.m., the tides would have taken them into the bay towards Berkeley or even Oakland. But the trip would have taken hours. According to the Delft University scientists, in that time, the convicts would have either died of hypothermia or been discovered by the police. The only way the trio could have survived and escaped was if they left during a 30-minute window around midnight. If they cast off then, they could have paddled north and wound up on the rocks under the Golden Gate Bridge, the Marin Headlands. However, investigators believe Morris and the Anglins escaped just after lights out at 9.30 p.m., 
It's highly unlikely they dawdled on the island for two and a half hours, only to reach the water at midnight. If the convicts escaped at 9.30 or 10 p.m., they would have reached the water while the tide was still flowing out to the Pacific Ocean. If they drowned while paddling, it's possible their corpses were swept out to sea. By the time the search teams began patrolling the bay, the dead men might have been miles away from any living person. We've seen this play out in history. In 1962, a suspected 30 people jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. It's believed 12 bodies were never discovered because the current carried them away. And there's a history of Alcatraz inmates disappearing at sea. In 1937, prisoners Ralph Rowe and Ted Cole worked in the prison's woodshop. One day in the middle of the afternoon, they stole a wrench, used it to break through a window and a locked gate, and ran to the beach. They were never seen or heard from again. Officials claimed a violent storm likely swept the pair beneath the waves, drowning them. However, their remains were never found, just like in the case of Morris and the Anglins. Still, we can't forget the accounts of the stolen blue Chevy. Allegedly, a buried FBI report detailed the hijacking, but the Bureau never investigated it. However, the alleged report has never been released. It's possible it doesn't exist. Even if it does, we can't confirm the Chevy had anything to do with Morris and the Anglins. The witness said there were three men in the car, but they didn't get a good enough look to describe any specific features. Those three men could have been anyone. And remember, police discovered Clarence Anglin's photos and personal items in the bay. It was filled with addresses and phone numbers of people who could have potentially helped them flee the country. The prisoners may have intentionally discarded the items to make it seem like they drowned, but authorities found that scenario unlikely. Instead, the list of contacts told the authorities exactly who the escapees trusted most. After the 1962 breakout, they monitored the homes of the inmates' loved ones. But Morris and the Anglins never showed, and it's possible it would have been difficult for them to get out of the United States without help. The most compelling evidence that they survived was the photograph Fred Breezy showed the Anglin family. However, the picture was grainy, and the brothers didn't show up clearly. The chief investigator on the case for the U.S. Marshal's office claimed Breezy was a con man. He was sentenced to six years in prison after smuggling marijuana into Florida from South America. That alone doesn't mean he lied about his photo, but even his wife expressed doubts around his story about the Alcatraz escapees. She told the Daily Mail online that in their 20 years of marriage, he never told her about meeting the Anglins. He even showed her the picture of the two men, but only to point out the gigantic anthill in the background. He didn't give any indication the pair in front were important. On top of that, an analyst with the U.S. Marshals claimed the men in the picture didn't have the right physical characteristics to be the Anglins. Facial recognition technology seemed to suggest otherwise, but it seems this evidence is too inconclusive to prove or disprove that the Anglins survived. We can't be sure what happened to Frank Morris and the brothers. 
Maybe the tides swept them out, or they drowned in the frigid bay. All we know is the men embarked on their dangerous plan because they didn't want to lose years of their lives in the rock. And even if they died minutes or hours after their escape, they still perished as free men. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next time with a new episode. For more information on the escape from Alcatraz, amongst the many sources we used, we found J. Campbell Bruce's book, Escape from Alcatraz, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember... Never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, Freddie Rivera, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Alex Bernard, edited by Ben Hanani and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Katovich. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. Thank you.